Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. And this week on The Stacks, we're doing something a little different. In light of the recent wave of book bannings all across America, I felt it was really important to spotlight what's going on. I have been really upset over everything I'm reading and hearing about, and so I wanted to take the time to address it on the podcast. Every single day this week, Monday through Friday, I'm talking to different people impacted by book bannings. My guests will range from educators and students to booksellers, politicians, and authors. Things have been moving really quickly in the book banning arena. And in an effort to be timely with our coverage of book bannings, we put together this whole mini series in about a week. These five days of coverage is not comprehensive, but instead a way to highlight more voices and to remind us all what is at stake. Throughout the week, you'll also hear from some of my favorite authors and thinkers about their favorite banned books. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. I also want to say, if you like what you hear, if you appreciate the work that I'm doing to create the Stacks every single week, please join the Stacks Pack on Patreon. The Stacks is a completely independent podcast, so without the support of listeners like you, there really is no show. You will get perks like our virtual book club and bonus episodes, and also you'll get to rest easy knowing your contribution makes the Stacks possible. So to join us, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. All right, now let's get to today's episode all about the banning of books. All right, everybody, it is another day of the banned book week here at the Stacks. I'm very excited. I am joined today by author and graphic novelist Allison Bechtel. Uh, she's the author of Fun Home, which uh, many of you I'm sure have heard of, award-winning, New York Times bestselling, as well as her follow-up, Are You My Mother? Allison, welcome to the Stacks. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to have you. Um, I mentioned to you, this to you offline as a book lover and a theater lover, getting to talk to someone who has a fantastic book and a fantastic musical connected to that book. This is just a major moment for me personally. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. <laughs> The focus of today is banned books, as you know, and we'll just sort of dive in and see see what we come up with. Um, do you remember the first time you found out one of your books or your book, Fun Home, was being challenged or banned somewhere? You know, there's 
there's been so many times that, no, I don't remember that first time anymore. <laughs> they're all sort of blurring together, but um, especially lately, there's been such a flurry. Yeah. What do you what do you make of this most recent wave of book banning going on? God, <laughs> I can only assume this is just part of the general politically insane atmosphere that mm. we're all living in. Um, but it's disturbing, you know, I, I mean, didn't everyone get taught how bad it is to ban books like this is the first step to fascism? I these people must have missed that day of school. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe that uh, book was banned from their library. <laughs> right. Fahrenheit 451 or whatever. Yes. It's just crazy. It really is. The thing that I find so interesting, especially like when I think about your book, Fun Home, and I think about, you know, one of the major arguments I've been hearing in this recent wave of banning is like, it's going to make the children uncomfortable, right? Like it's going to, it's going to be hard for them. They're going to feel bad about themselves for whatever reason. And I just think like your book is a memoir about your childhood, you know? So, so you experienced a lot of what happens in your book as a child. Some of it is in your early adulthood, but it is your life. It is your story. These are the things that happen to you in real life, IRL, as the kids say. So I'm wondering, what do you say back to that? What do you say back to people that say, well, this story will make children uncomfortable? I mean, there's so many layers to this. Yeah. I just want to say, like, the really upsetting thing is when people call my book obscene because, right. you know, it's the equivalent of saying that my my life, my very existence is obscene. And I think that's what happens with a, a lot of work with queer authors and people of color. Like their very perspective is is being deemed bad. Uh, so that's obviously very dangerous. But in terms of children having a hard time with things, um, I, you know, People who really care about children <laughs> understand that you need to be brave enough to talk about reality with them and prepare them for these difficult things, you know? Right. That's so basic. Trying to shield children or protect children out of some notion that children are innocent, I think, is one of the most dangerous beliefs people can have, you know, because, because it absolutely ensures that these bad things are going to keep happening because no one's teaching children how to deal with them. Right. I just have to tell a funny story to illustrate this case. One place where my book was challenged or banned, at least temporarily recently, was in Kansas City. And I just saw this crazy picture of these, this gang of guys holding up these blown up images from my book at this (laughs) school board meeting, like the two pages of the 240 page book that have naked people having sex on them. And that's not the <laughs> that's not the punchline. The punchline is that one of these guys at the school board meeting was just arrested um for molesting children. Oh, if, I, I saw like this headline. Yeah. Like I can't even explain it. Right. I get it. It's like you you don't want children to have access to these books because they're obscene as they would say. And yet here you are committing crimes because you've not reckoned with what's going on within you, which is sort of, you know, a theme in your own book, right? Like that's sort of one of the big things (laughs) about your book. And like one of the questions I have for you around that is like, 
in your story, your your father uh, was closeted for his entire life and you came out a few months before his suicide. I hope this isn't a spoiler. It's in like the first 10 pages of the books, people. So, you yeah. know, sorry. Um, but I wonder like what, I don't know, I hate to distill your life into lessons, but it's just, it. there's like some sort of symmetry to me about people not wanting children to learn about and talk about and think about other people's lives that either could be potentially connected to their own or completely different from their experiences. And you've lived this life where there were so many secrets and there was so much like dancing around issues and talking about literature in place of talking about what was really going on. And, and I don't know what the mm-hmm. question is, but I just wonder... Do you feel like there's something that like you wish you could shake into these people and be like, look, I lived a life where this book probably, you know, a world, a world in which we weren't talking about the things that are in my book and and what you've sort of gleaned yeah. from that? No, I mean, that is a very fair summation of the book and and actually of for me, of my whole like path of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I grew up in this house that had a lot of secrets and had a lot of, um, you know, ways that things didn't look the way they really were. And it was very, it left me kind of alienated from myself on a deep level, which, you know, throughout my life, I've been integrating back and becoming whole and understanding that, you know, secrets are incredibly destructive. And in my case, literally destructive, my, you know, leading to my father's suicide. So I, yeah, I feel pretty passionate about just telling people the truth. I know it's very difficult. I know it's painful. I know it's scary, but everyone is better off in the end. Yeah. That's just such the irony of your specific book. I feel like in this moment, it's like reading the book, you can't help but see when we don't talk about these things, when we don't reckon with these things, it is, it ends up being, you know, worse, worse for everybody. It ends up, you know, in this case, a suicide, but uh, you know, you you went through other, you know, obsessive compulsions. Like there were things that you were experiencing as a child because of the secrets and because of all of this. And it just is, I can't help but when I think about your book to think about, or think about your book being banned, to think about how what's in the book would be really helpful. <laughs> like this is exactly why the book, you know, exists. Um, and sort of to that point, a lot of what I hear when people talk about books from the LGBTQIA plus community, it's like, this is a learning, this is to learn or to teach and kids need these books so that they can understand. But one of the things that I always push back with as a black woman is like, also these stories need to exist because people, these people exist, like these lives have existed. And and I would love to hear you kind of talk about why, you know, your work isn't necessarily you know, of course, people can learn right from books. I don't not to diminish that part of it, but sort of to speak to like why your book should just exist just on the merits of it being a book. You know, um, I think you just said that more eloquently than <laughs> than I possibly could. Um, that was very beautifully put. Oh, well, but yeah, I'm just writing about my own life, my own story. Um, you know, I, I guess mem- memoirs are in their their own special category in terms of these challenges and mm-hmm. bannings. Mm-hmm because they're they're real this is real these are real people's lives what right do you have to say that they're wrong or bad or obscene yeah i just saw this great thread on twitter someone was talking about mouse and they were talking about how you know schools are suggesting that instead of teaching that book that they'll teach 
a fictionalized version of, you know, a Holocaust story. And they kind of unpacked all that that meant, which was like it become you know, the stories end up going from being these first person narratives to becoming where we are supposed to sympathize with the oppressor. Like the, the comparison they used was the boy in the striped pajamas, which I never read, mm-hmm. but I guess it's like from the perspective of a German boy who meets a child who's in a camp and it becomes about sympathizing with that boy and like that taking the right. <laughs> taking the making it more accessible or more comfortable means that you're taking out the first person narrative you're taking out the truth of the story and you're creating this other version of it where you know things happen but it's not done by someone right like people were killed in Auschwitz but it wasn't by Nazis necessarily it just was this terrible thing that happened to this boy character that we're supposed to feel sorry right. for and i think that that's right like, always really upsetting and which is one of the reasons I love memoir in general you know like we don't need we don't always need a fictionalized story people have lived these lives right you also write I mean graphic work and I'm wondering if you have any sense of like it being a more more targeted or feeling like it's like an easier target because there's some argument being made that it's a picture book or you know I know people really shit on graphic books (laughs) like inappropriately graphic stories get a lot more scrutiny just because, well, for one thing, they're assumed to be written for children. And I must say, I I had no idea, like, high school kids were going to be reading Fun Home. I, right. It never occurred to me to write that for, like, younger a younger audience. Right. Nor did Art Spiegelman write Mouse for 13-year-olds, right. you know? Right. Which is not to say they shouldn't be taught to kids. I mean, I think those are both very legitimate curriculum choices. But yeah, the thing about having pictures is they're right there. You might be able to put a sex scene in prose and nobody really notices it, or it doesn't Mm. somehow seem as shocking. But when you're seeing pictures, it's a little different. I'm not sure. I, I don't have any like wise statement about how comics should be handled. Um, that's okay. You don't have to know. Sorry. I, I, Tracy, I, I'm like, I have to say one thing that I, maybe my biggest resentment about all of this book banning is, is the responsibility I then have to like, come talk about it. And I just, I'm not, I'm not super, I have other things I would rather be doing, you know, so I, and I don't have a, a clearly articulated platform about all of this. It's just, it's upsetting. It's annoying. It's disturbing. That's all. You make such a good point. I mean, I feel like that's often the point that people make about like racism, right? Is like it distracts us from doing the other work that we have set out yeah. to do, you know? Um, and I think that, I mean, it's such a good point. And, and I feel like that's part of, you know, my frustration as, as a reader and a lover of books is like this, all of this banning bullshit is taking away from like, the reading, the good stuff, you know, (laughs) like, and the discussing and the unpacking and the thinking about, because I think there certainly is a conversation to be had about young people reading a book that deals with the topics in your, in your book and who is teaching these classes and who is helping them understand it and not, they shouldn't have access to it because it's difficult or uncomfortable. And I think like, I'd much rather have those conversations, right. About like, how do we handle, how do we handle memoir? when we're 
as adults and as young people, quite frankly. You know, I I just want to say I'm so grateful to the teachers and the librarians who are fighting to keep these books yes. in, in the library, on the curriculum. Um, they are very brave people. They are. And they're so passionate. You know, it's like there's no question. I spoke to a librarian yesterday, which folks will have probably heard by now that conversation, but Katrina kept saying like, no, 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 the books need to be here because it's for the community. If everyone in the community came together and said, take it out, then maybe we would take it out of our library. But until that point, it's not, there's no question about whether these books should or shouldn't exist. So, you know, who knows? Um, I'm curious if all of the banning stuff changes how you do your work, how you think about your work, how you write, how you create, if it's like lingers or if it's something that you are just like, this is a total distraction. I never think about it ever again. Uh, I don't really think about it as I'm working, I'm happy to say. (laughs) But, you know, it's also sometimes surprising or jarring to me to find that, you know, a high school class is reading Fun Home or even my comic strip dykes to watch out for. Sometimes younger people are reading that. Actually, <laughs> I was sort of surprised to realize recently that it was the children of many lesbians who had bought my dykes to watch out for comics who were reading those things. Who and actually, actually, who kind of grew up reading my <laughs> comics, um, which is funny to me because I certainly never in a million years imagined children reading those things. I mean, they're full of swear words and sex scenes and all kinds of stuff. But I think that's funny because I've met some of these young people in there. <laughs> they're very well adjusted. Right. <laughs> so I'm glad that happened. But I, I guess what, what I'm trying to say is I come from a generation. I'm old enough. I'm 61. I remember when gay people had to be very careful about being around children or being you know, in the context of a school or an educational setting like you, you could very easily get charged with, you know, being a child molester. Right. It's disturbing to see that tide kind of creeping back a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's very, what was the orange juice lady? The horrible orange juice lady. Oh yeah. Anita Bryant. Yes. Anita Bryant. It's very Anita Bryant. Um, One of the other things that I feel like that you're known for is your Bechdel test, which um, for people who don't know, I don't know, maybe you should just tell them what it is. I feel like uh, you're the one who created it. So I feel like maybe you can explain it better than me. Well, this is a, it's a funny metric. It's, um, it's something that arose out of a comic strip I wrote many decades ago, back in 1985. I had a comic strip about two women trying to decide what movie they were going to see. And they're walking past all these theaters with these posters for like action movies, like Conan the Barbarian and stuff. And one woman says, okay, my rule for seeing a movie is it has to have at least two women in it who talk to each other about something besides a man. And that was just like this kind of, it wasn't actually my idea. I stole that from a friend of mine. (laughs) I thought it was really smart. And, you know, my friends enjoyed the comic strip fine. No one really thought much more about it until somehow it sort of got resurrected after the internet (laughs) started up. Um, And young film students, I think, started talking about it and, making it into this real thing. It wasn't like I said, this is the Bechdel test. This was something that kind of spontaneously happened. And it became this way to measure how well a, a movie or, or a book or any you know storytelling medium 
honored the subjectivity of its female characters. So it's just a simple little measurement. Yeah. But it's like become such a huge part of the culture, I feel like. We do a book club uh, on the stacks once a month. And a few months back, we did Song of Solomon. And actually, someone brought up the Bechdel test about Song of Solomon because we were like, I don't think it would pass, even though it's the great Toni Morrison who writes like from such a feminist lens. And we all sort of had like a good laugh about it. Um, But it's also her novel that centers... Uh, a male, one of her novels that centers a male protagonist and it's sort of his adventure story. And mm-hmm. so it makes sense because he's like the center of the world. But it was just so funny that it came mm-hmm. like that your your Bechdel test came up in this context because it's also Song of Solomon is also argued as like one of the great, you know, feminist novels or has a great feminist lens or however, you know, you want to say it. But so I think it's just like such a pervasive little quick like gut check, if you will, for the culture. And it's sort of, you know, your name has become now synonymous with this idea of like representation and 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 women specifically and and what that looks like. And I think like, again, you know, to circle back a little bit to the banned books thing, again, it's that point of like these books should exist because these people exist. Like women talk about other things yeah. besides men to each other, believe it or not. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, yes. Do you have a sense of like, any places that people can go or like organizations that are helping or like actionable items that people can do? I think of organizations like the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, mm. who, who I'm actually going to send some money to today. I feel like Fantastic. I haven't properly um, recognized the, the work that they're doing. But I mean, that's that's one thing you can do. Yeah, but those no, people that's do great. amazing work. I think that's a great and that's an organization I wasn't familiar with. So thank you for sharing that. One thing I think people can do also is to try not to oversimplify these things. I just Mm. read a really great article by a woman in Tennessee, a woman who lives in Tennessee and has been dealing with the mouse situation down there. And she feels frustrated by how all these people from the coasts are chiming in to say how benighted the people of Tennessee are. But there's lots of people there advocating for these books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess don't forget that. Don't forget how local all these things are. And um, those people can use support, you know, yeah. people on, on the local fronts. Yeah, that's such a good reminder, too. It's like, there's this idea that everything is, is national. And it's not anymore. You know, it's not, we right. think it is because right. we have access to people nationally and in a way that we didn't used to, but still everything is local, mostly. I guess my sort of last question for you is, what's the thing that you wish more people understood about the banning of books, whether it's its impact on you personally as, as a creator of books, a book that has been banned, or just like sort of bigger picture or, or anything, really? I just come back to something I said earlier, which is this this instinct to somehow protect children is troubling (laughs) and it inevitably has the opposite effect. It's much better for people to talk about these difficult issues with their kids and try to prevent them from ever learning about them. I mean, come on, that's just basic. What do we do though for kids who don't have those adults in their life? You know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, like I think that's probably most kids. Um, right. I, I know, <laughs> I every, so. you know, 
parents get busy. They don't have time to sit around figuring out how to discuss the Holocaust with their children. Right. Um, although, you know. Or they believe it didn't happen, you know, like some kids have parents that really right. suck, you know, some kids have oh parents who are busy I mean, yeah. and some kids have parents who think yeah. that you're an obscene human because you're because you are gay, you know, like I think that. Yeah, the the playing field has really shifted. I mean, it's so nuts now with with people not even on the same playing field. Um, right. People don't agree on what reality is anymore. So that makes it all much more fraught and dangerous. Yeah, I feel like that is for me what makes the banning stuff even more upsetting is it's like, yeah, we don't want to ban the books because we think I think the books should exist and I think they should be accessible for students and for people generally. And what compounds that is like so many of these kids are going to schools and school districts where they don't believe the book should exist. And that means that, you know, a lot of the, their families might not believe that the book should exist. So even if they can find the book if like how are they having access to these things you know so many people are like oh it's the information age people can find it the internet but it's like you don't even know what to look for if you've never seen it and never heard of it yeah so that's what's i mean yeah that's the part that really just like makes me feel angry and and sad and frustrated is like okay we as adults know but if you don't how do if you're 15 how do you know what you don't know Right. I mean, that's the beauty of, of libraries and the way that we used to just actually explore a library and run across these things. Right. I right. know that's how I found so, so much interesting material as a young person. Right. I mean, the library was like so important for me as a young person as well. But if it's not in the library, right, it's just like, yeah, ugh. when yeah. you think like when I start to think about it, as less of an abstract thing and more of an actual reality. It's very troubling. It's all very disturbing, Tracy. Um, thank you for talking about it in, in this kind of depth this week. Thank you for coming and talking with me and taking time from the other things you could and should be doing to, <laughs> to talk about, you know, the, the other crazy thing. It's like your book came out in 2006 and like we're still talking about it. But I did I did do a little research yeah. and it was one of the most challenged books in 2015, which is the year that the show opened on Broadway. Oh, so wow. I think that probably the reviving success of your work on Broadway and as a musical, I think probably like, or what do they call it a musical or do they call it a play with music? Uh, it's a musical. It's a musical. Yeah. You know, sometimes they make that weird distinction. I don't get it. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but I think probably like that reviving, like, which is also sort of an interesting dichotomy of like, you've written this thing, it, it becomes successful again. And then like the backlash comes again. But anyways, I yeah. did, I did see that it was one of the most challenged books that year. But anyways, Allison, this has been so great. Thank you so much for your time and for talking and for being willing to talk about this stuff still. You're so welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Thank you again to Allison Bechtel. After this quick break, we will hear from Kelsey Reynolds, a high school teacher in New Orleans, about how she approaches her curriculum and difficult conversations with her students. 
My name is Brandon Kyle Goodman, and my favorite band book is The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. I read it at a time when I was trying to make sense of the chaos in pursuing my dream of acting and writing with all its ups, downs, and rejection. The Alchemist was so transformative as it gave me new perspective, grounding, and rejuvenated my hope, reminding me to listen to the whispers of my life and to hold onto my belief in myself and my pursuit. I count it as one of the most important books I've ever read. This is Becca Tobin, podcast host, actress, and author. One of my favorite books of all time is The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls, and it was on a banned book list from 2012. It's a memoir about resilience. It's about a young girl who was raised in poverty among substance abuse and violence and how she ultimately learned how to cope and survive. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of the Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. 
All right, everyone, I'm very excited. We are about to talk to Kelsey Reynolds. Kelsey is a Black queer educator, youth community organizer, abolitionist, and lifelong student who centers her relationship building and listening to youth in her teaching practice. She teaches English 4 at New Harmony High School in New Orleans. Kelsey, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk today. I'm really excited to talk to you. First, let me just say, just casually as a blanket, Thank you for being a teacher, especially during this pandemic and this nightmare that is going on. I know you're doing so much heavy lifting. So thank you not only for the work that you do, but also for taking time to talk with me about the nightmare that is banned books. I know a little bit about you. We have a mutual contact who told me you're the greatest teacher in the history of teaching and that you teach. I think the quote was you teach our books with so much tender love and care. Um, So I'm curious, sort of broadly, we'll start broadly. How are you feeling about this banned book stuff? What is it specifically that is bringing you concern or anxiety or stress or whatever it is? Will you just sort of talk broadly about that? I think broadly, my actual initial feelings and thoughts are just that I'm not surprised, Mm. you know, and I think that is also the scary part is almost this feeling of complacency in the sense of, or I don't know if complacency is the right word, but like, yeah, not surprised. Like, here we go again. And so much of my class is centering, like, how do we build a world where more people are cared for and heard and seen? And I'm very lucky that I'm able to do that. And I'm able to teach, for example, heavy, which is now banned. I actually, I think that was the heaviest one for me. I was like, what? Y'all banned heavy? And I just taught it. It was such a beautiful experience with my students, you know, but in general, yeah, it's really just, it's disappointing, but it's not surprising and it's going to continue to happen. And I think it's our job as educators, parents, friends, um, to keep, teaching the books, keep reading the books, keep buying the books, keep talking about the books, right? I think it's really important that we continue to talk about it because it's going to be more frequent. And I think also what's important to note is I feel like it's coming after a lot of beautiful books are being written by Black and Brown people Mm -hmm. and for Black and Brown students, right? Mm -hmm. We have this I don't know, there's so many beautiful books, so much beautiful literature for young adults right now. And I think that's also a key thing, right? It's like people are seeing that and people are seeing that kids want to read this work. They want that, you know, and then now the response is, okay, well, let's ban it. Let's get rid of it, right? Um, And I think it's our jobs, even as librarians, of like, how do we, well, how do we skate around this? And how do we, you know, still actually teach it? Um, But yeah, it's this mixed feeling of incredible frustration, disappointment, and then also like, yeah, not surprised, but we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on doing what we have to do. Um, yeah. You teach English for that. What, what grade is that? What, what is that level? What does that mean? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like every school has their own language around like grade or like content. Can you just tell us a little bit about what your class is, what your class is? Yeah. So I teach English for, which is basically teaching mostly seniors. I have a few juniors. Um, I teach in high school And uh, I work at a school where I'm very lucky that I have a lot of curriculum freedom. So I'm not a teacher that has like a scripted curriculum that's handed to me. It's very much, you know, they want us to teach what we want to teach. So I had a lot of freedom to dream, which was really beautiful and also really difficult. I felt um, this incredible pressure 
and it actually caused me a lot of anxiety. Um, I think it makes me feel so wonderful to know that somebody like Casey Lehman was like, oh yeah, I can tell she's teaching with so much tender love and care. And a lot of it, um, I'm actually, this is my first year teaching English for last year. I taught outdoor adventures and health. But I spent the entire summer at a coffee shop. I spent the entire summer just like reading, rereading all my favorite books. And basically when I sat down to design my class, I had talked to a lot of the young people I worked with before. So I'm, I've worked at different um, education nonprofits. So I've worked with uh, Upward Bound and then this um, organization, A26 New Orleans, which is around creative writing. And I reached out to all of the high schoolers I worked with and was like, what would y'all want to learn? You know, like, what do you, what would you want mm. to read? And a big thing that kept coming up was relationships and love. And I was like, okay, how can <laughs> I do this? And then I really sat with well, what books have just changed my life. And the two were heavy by Casey Lehman and then All About Love by Bell Hooks. Mm. And I kind of started sitting with this idea that like we're not taught how to love and care about each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think in so much of my practice, I feel like I have a pedagogy of care and love. And so I was like, well, how can that actually be a part of the curriculum too, right? How do we teach about, yeah, care and love and these um And how it's really difficult to do that under capitalism, right? And how it's really difficult to do that under systems of oppression and um, or systems of domination, I feel like as Bell Hooks names. And yeah, so I sat down and was like, shoot, let me think about the books that I really love. Right now we're reading If Beale Street Could Talk, Mm. which is another really beautiful book around love and hope. And, um, And I kind of asked this broader question to my students of how do these big systems, right? Like, so for right now, it's how does the prison industrial complex affect the way that we treat each other and we treat ourselves, Mm. right? So how do these big systems affect our interpersonal relationships and make it hard to love, make it hard to care, right? Right. And then basically, like, how do we love each other in healthy ways? And yeah, our first unit with Heavy was so special. I've never, I, yeah, I, I will always remember that. Um, And students were just super into answering these questions around love and healthy love. And then intergenerational trauma came up a lot. And how do we break these cycles? When you're teaching these books, like especially a book like Heavy that's now been banned, I don't know if it was at the time that you read it. Are you talking about like the banning part of the book? Like, are you saying like people are against this book because X, Y, and Z? Like, is that part of your conversation? Like, the the more the contextualizing of the book in the current moment or are you more focused on just what's inside the writing what's inside the book yeah in relationship to heavy um it wasn't banned at the time so that wasn't a conversation we were having um but I did I have to be very intentional Mm -hmm. around these books right like heavy is is heavy. (laughs) And also when you're, when you're doing this work, right. When you're doing identity work, when you're talking about systems of oppression, I have a very diverse class. I have a very, um, diverse group of kids, black, white, majority black and white. Um, but in general, it can bring up a lot. And I have, and I learned a lot about that. Yeah. Things didn't go well. (laughs) Things went really amazing. Well, this is what I'll say. Actually, no, things did go well. And what I will say is I had white students who were very uncomfortable and that was also okay. And I think that was something that I walked away from. It was like, oh, 
this was hard for you and you're naming the fact that you don't want to go to this author talk because you're a white woman and you're not sure it's for you. And I'm like, oh wait, this is how black kids always feel. And so, and, and also though, it took a lot of relationship building with all my students so that at the end of the day, that student felt seen and was like, okay, I can see you just want to challenge me and you, and it's okay to be uncomfortable. But one thing I will say is I think, especially with these books that are banned and just in general is you have to set up um, a community. I don't know. You have to do relationship building and you, you cannot skip that part when you teach these books. Right. I think the other thing I will say, the best feedback I got from students especially during that unit was just that they were so appreciative that I wasn't afraid to put these books with like, I guess what people would consider adult content. I actually wish I could pull the quote. Maybe I can find it. I'll send it to you afterwards. But one of the students was just like, yeah, I'm thank you for not trying to hide stuff from us. Mm. Like we're 17, we're 18. Thank you for seeing us as humans and as young adults. Right. In so many ways, I think teachers are scared. And I got scared at one point. I was like, Oh like, oh shit, you know, like I, I have ruffled feathers and I'm a little freaked out and I'm, but at the end of the day, like so many of my students felt seen, including white students felt seen and felt like, but I had to really create that, like, um, I don't know, buffer, I don't know, word container. I had to create a container, right. We had to do the community agreements. We had to do the work so that we could get through that discomfort. And I think even right now, now we're talking about prison abolition. And I was like, look, y'all, we're all going to be on different spectrums of things. And actually, like the next week, some of my lessons are on conflict and like, how do we move through conflict and for it to be generative? But you have to teach those skills. Right. right. And that's kind of the basis of my thing is like, well, how do we actually teach being in relationship to each other? I don't know that I have all the answers, but I'm trying. <laughs> sure, None of us do. Please give yourself credit yeah. to not have the answers. I'm So one of the things that you mentioned that I feel like I'm hearing constantly from the people who want to ban these books is that it makes students uncomfortable. I think that the the missing word is white students um, or straight yeah. students or cis students, depending on the book. And I'm wondering, like you, you said, you kind of set up these boundaries and you set up these systems to talk about this stuff. But how how do you deal with it in the moment? Right. Like I've been in classrooms where we're reading something. I, I can't think exactly because I'm old enough to not remember. But, you know, like something will come up and and the white boy in class will be like, well, how come, you know, how come he can say the N word and I can't or whatever. Something something comes up that it's like a confrontational moment or someone gets really uncomfortable and shuts down or someone wants to leave the room because things were said that were insensitive. And anyways, how as a teacher are you combating those moments and turning them into, I don't know, teachable moments, not to be too redundant by putting the definition in the, in the yeah. you know, but how are you handling the tenderness of your students as well as the tenderness of the texts that you're teaching? And how can other people sort of approach that work? Yeah, that's a really great question. So there's a narrative, I feel that you know, teachers are supposed to be neutral, which in a lot of ways, yes, right? Like we're supposed to hold and really facilitate, you know, these conversations for the students to get to their own opinions. Absolutely. I am also not afraid to name very early on in my class that one, yes, we, this is a space where you can mess up, Mm -hmm. right? Like I am here to be that container to hold you when you mess up. 
And also, though, I'm not going to tolerate racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic stuff. I'm not going to be be afraid to check you. And I'm also not a, I want my students to know that they can also do that. So what I will say is a lot of times in those moments, I turn to students and I ask the rest of the class, well, would anybody else like to respond to that? Right? Like, hey, there is this uncomfortable moment that's happening. Um, I think another really big thing, so something I started this semester is um, I do these like mindfulness minutes after our do now, which can be anywhere from like a three minute meditation to like a seven minute uh, meditation, or we will listen to uh, like Tibetan sound bowls. And a part of that was actually so that people, we, we can start paying attention to our bodies because mm. right when we, when those moments of like, Ooh, the conflict we get really activated in our bodies and then, right. And so that's been a big thing for us. And really for me even is like, okay, let's center ourselves before we start talking about this, because again, we are going to have wildly different opinions. Right. And I think though, that's another big thing is that that's okay. Right. And also really creating a culture, like it's one okay to disagree. Now it's not okay to disagree if you're saying something like against me as a black person, right? Like no, or, you know, disagreeing on my rights, let's say, but it is okay for us to not agree. And it's okay for us to have these difficult conversations. You know, even I remember one of my classes, one of the community agreements was like, we want to be able to have healthy debate. They Mm. were like, we want to be able to debate. That's the other thing is, yes, we are going to have these uncomfortable moments, but for the most part, the students want it. You know what I mean? Yes. That's what I remember from school. It's, you want it. Yes. You want to have those engaging conversations. You know, they don't want to be babied. Like it's really, right. it's frustrating. It's very adultist of us to assume like students have the agency. Young people have the agency. Quite frankly, young people are way smarter and can usually handle conflict yes. a lot better. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and the hard topics too. Like yes. I think about this all the time when I hear people talking about like, oh, it makes young people uncomfortable. I just think like, no, when I was young, like I, I was like weirdly obsessed with the Holocaust, you know, like Me too. just ah. totally upset, like we and like I still am a person who still likes to read books about like mass death that is like organized. Like I don't like I'm not as interested in like a mass shooting as I am in something like Jonestown. Right. Like because there was some sort of organization behind that. And I've always been interested in that. And I've always wanted to read about it. And quite frankly, in high school, I was annoyed that I had to read books about like I was annoyed that I had to read The Awakening because I was like, I am bored. And I'm not yeah. being challenged and I'm not learning anything because I really don't care what an alliteration is truly no matter what. <laughs> and so like it was like, OK, go off Edna in The Awakening, like do your thing. But I just don't I'm just not reading this. And like for the opposite reasons, just like I'm bored. And I wish when I was younger, you know, in school, I was challenged because I think my parents did a good job of showing us stuff because I don't know how else I would have known about Jonestown because they certainly weren't teaching it in high school, you know? And I think people just don't give young people the credit for wanting to learn the real stuff, you know, and like about life stuff. And I think it's so interesting that your students, not surprising, but just interesting that your students were like, we want to learn about love and relationships. Because of course. Because what? Of course. Because what I else do you care your... about when you're 16, 17, 18, 20, exactly. 30, 50, 60, <laughs> yeah. 100? Like, 
it's all there is love and relationships. Isn't that the whole thing? Yeah. And we're not taught how to do it. And I think similarly, it's funny when I was thinking about the band books, I think one of the books that really got my attention, well, like the hate you give was one that got my attention because I loved reading that. And then was mouse actually Mm -hmm. the comic book because I had a very similar, I was just talking to my friend about this. I'm like, I had this weird thing where like, I loved reading, like I wanted to learn about the Holocaust and Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn about night. And I like, I remember we read night and I was like, so yeah. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, I wanted that stuff. You know, I remember my senior year, I like, we had the choice of, I don't know, having an internship or taking this class history of the other. And I was like, yeah, I want to learn what is history of the other. But you know, in general, I wanted those difficult conversations. And I think the other thing is with social media and stuff, this is what students are consuming. And not only that, I think we also frame it around this idea of like, oh, well, we don't want students to like learn this stuff, but they are living it. Like, I'm like, no, this is just life. Like, and it's now, hey, maybe more of a mirror or I don't know, but in general, like students are loving, students are being in relationship to each other. Students are exploring their identities. And if anything, like, why not? create a safe container for them to do that in then this kind of like out of sight out of mind like maybe if we don't do it they're not going to talk about it right or they're not going to learn about it or they're not going to live through it okay let me add this is the other part that I'm so curious about generally how are parents involved with your curriculum are you getting feedback from parents are parents reading along with students are they engaging with the texts are they coming to you saying you know, you made little Annie uncomfortable. Are they coming to you and saying, you know, little Annie's never been more engaged at dinner? Like, are you, are you hearing from parents? Because that's the other piece that I'm just like, it can't all be on teachers and the school board and librarians. Like your job is not to raise engaged citizens. Your job is to educate young people. So I'm curious, like how much the parents in your, in your classrooms are part of what you're doing or fighting it? Yeah. In general, I would say teaching seniors, most parents are kind of like, you know, like (laughs) years old and they're not that in, you know, that involved. What I will say though, is yeah, like my syllabus, I had to have parents sign it. I was very clear. And, um, you know, even before I, let's say had the students read heavy, I had, I gave like them the reading schedule on a bookmark and there was a very clear trigger warning. Um, because if anything was heavy, more than like racial stuff, the big, the things around sexual assault were very huge Yes, and were very, you know, I had to make sure. And that's another thing. Students can always walk out, can always step out. We have, you know, if a mental health professional needs to come in, et cetera. Um, but that was a big thing. And I will say like one of the incidents with heavy where like a student was uncomfortable, the mom was super dope. <laughs> the mom was like, I love it. Like, I want you to challenge my child. And, and I remember actually during back to school night, some parents walked into my rooms and saw the chart paper and, you know, and, uh, they were just like, Whoa, this is, um, like, the, okay, these are some big terms on this chart paper, right. It, you know, it was around like racism and all kind. who knows what was up on the board. Um, we might've been talking about like harm and abuse, but in general, they were, they, they're more like, Oh, okay. Like, this is cool that you're doing this. I also had moments, um, Actually, wow, it was so special. Now that I think about it, one of my students, I remember, te- like, I received this text kind of like late in the evening, 
and was just like, hey, Miss Kelsey, I want you to know I gave this book to my mom and it's really started huge conversations in our mm-hmm. family. Um, and I think that is so much of what Heavy was trying to do was like, how do we be in relationship and heal within our families? And also I know some people were like, yeah, I gave this to my mom. And like first, first 10 pages, she was like, I can't keep reading this. Like, this huh. is so difficult. But I think more in a way of like, oh, like, I need to do this work. We need to do this work. And not in a way of, I'm mad that you're reading this in school, but I think a similar feeling of, yeah, thanks for putting this in text. And thank you for seeing my child and being able to, you know, like trusting them to be able to handle it. But then also just knowing and believing that, of course, they're 17 and 18. But it was hard. This book was hard. I had to give you know, I would get tell students like, okay, skip these few pages if you don't want to read about right. XYZ. You know, and I think that's where like being able to teach this stuff with intention and care is huge. I also will say, I guess this doesn't have to do with parents and stuff, but I think sometimes I am seeing white teachers wanting to do better and mm. then trying to teach certain books, but they don't have the experience. And then it's like, they maybe don't make the best decision around reading a book out loud with the N word in it, you know, right. or whatever. Like, right, right, right. Um, and so I think too, like, yeah, it just has to be done with really intention and yes, telling parents we are doing this. And Cause I think also one that allows for like, Hey, I'm willing to have this conversation with you beforehand. And also I'm willing to work with you if I do need to get a different book for your kid, which I did do with heavy. I did find another memoir for some students, but it wasn't around the race stuff. It was around sexual assault and not wanting to be re-triggered. Got it. Okay. We're running out of time. So I just have a few more questions for you though. I could, I feel like talk to you for many, many hours. I'm very, (laughs) very, very in love with you. Um, Okay. Just like briefly, how many of your students ish are you feeling like are using the library at the school are reliant on it for discovering new books and works is that something that you're seeing because I know a lot of the books that are being banned maybe aren't being taught in curriculum but they're being like just removed from the library is would that is that a big impact for your students and obviously this doesn't go for every school in the country so please people who are listening I'm not I'm not saying what Kelsey is about to say is indicative of your children's schools yeah. Also, what I will say is, sadly, we don't have a library. Uh, oh. So, yeah. So how do your kids get books? That's <laughs> What a great question. Um, so actually, what our English department did this year is we reached out to the public library. Got it. And we had students sign up for, and actually, it's funny, I need to pass out the library. We just got them last week, and I need to pass <laughs> them out. Um, so we got public uh, library cards for all the got students. It. But also what I will say is I had a student come up to me last week, love her, white, um, a white student. And she just straight up was like, Miss Kelsey, um, I feel like I need to do better about reading about black um, identity. And, and I don't know, it's Black History Month. She was like, you know, is there any way you could suggest some books? And I was like, oh, like, let's go look at my, I do have a very small classroom library. I was like, look, Honestly, all of these books will can fit that. And I gave her four to take home. And I was like, you can take it. Another thing, I had a student um, two weeks ago who she was like, Miss Kelsey, I got to tell you about this book, Metamorphosis. Have you heard of it? And I was like, no, I haven't heard of it, you know. And yeah, she just basically was like, I really want it. And I was hoping you had it. And 
whatever it was really cheap and I ordered two copies it was like here uh, you know I bought her one but it's like all about capitalism and stuff so like this is where I'm saying I'm like students want this they want it and yes I wish we had a library I so greatly do I could go on and on about the New Orleans public school system and okay. school library. We won't do that today, but I might have to make you yeah. come back to do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. For folks who are concerned about what's going on with ban the banning of the books, what can they do? What do you recommend they do to help help? <laughs> no, I mean, I think one of like, there's a few big things. One, buy the books, buy them though from local bookstores. Don't buy them from Amazon, please. And I think, yeah, donate them to libraries, right? Buy them for libraries to give them to them. I think another thing is as much as we need voices, right? Because people are very loud. The ones who want the books banned, they're loud. And so I think as just as they're showing up, it's like we also need to show up Mm -hmm. to meetings. We also need to maybe even email teachers and like in support of the books, right? How do you actually um, make sure your voice is being heard? I would say those are very simple things Those are to great do. Things. And I think also, yeah, buy your kids the books. Yeah. You read the books, read them together. So, yeah, those yeah. are great things. Okay, here's my last question for you. I know this is going to be hard. You've already mentioned a few, but what is your favorite band book? I just have to say Heavy by I know I'm like talking. Y'all, if you have not read Heavy by Casey Layman, please do. It it's is, like the most talked about book on this podcast. Everyone who's listening to this okay. show, who's listened to it more than like twice, has definitely heard us talk about how great the book is. It's, I mean, it's it's the greatest. Yeah, I think also I will say just as a student, Mouse. Um, I think too, what I love about Mouse is it, it's accessible. Um, that's a really other big thing is like having comic books in your classroom because students who maybe can't access certain texts, can then access that. There's images. Also, I would say The Hate You Give, uh, just because it's like, yeah, again, it's like, it feels like an accessible text mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that a lot of students can get. And also just in general, if your teacher's out there, teach more young adult books. I think lots of times we're like, we have to teach these classic books written by these old white people that right. make students just like, oh, I can't. Um, so yeah, The Hate You Give. Oh, Okay. Kelsey, thank you so much for being here. This was such a treat. Again, thank you for all the work you do. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to today's guests for joining me. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcast and join The Stacks Pack on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Stacks. Remember that The Stacks Book Club pick for February is I Live a Life Like Yours by Jan Gru and we will be discussing the book on the podcast on Wednesday, February 23rd with Tessa Miller. I want to say a huge, huge thank you to Kiese Lehman, Sam Pinkleton, Andrew Russell, Cree Miles, Joseph Papa, Taryn Roeder, and Jackson Musker for helping me make this week possible. I also want to say an even bigger thank you to our editor, Christian Duenas, for working quadruple time to make this week possible. Everything you heard in today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 